Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. afternoon. My name is Rosalina Donaldson and I want to welcome you to this seminar. Uh, this seminar is about short-term mission and long-term impact and we're looking particularly at the lives of people with disabilities uh, and their families. According to the World Health Organization, over 1 billion people all over the world live with a long-term mental, uh, long-term health condition. And this could be like a physical disability, it could be mental health, learning disability, sensory impairments, or those who are unable to self-care. And often these people live hidden lives, hidden by their families and hidden by their communities. And they very often live um, with that real burden of stigma and shame. And very often these people are also hidden from the gospel. If without them, we really miss out on what God wants to reveal to each one of us. So often in the Bible, it talks about how God's strength is revealed through our weakness and how he often wants to pour his love into each one of us. And that includes people with disabilities. Um, just a little bit about myself. Um, I did a degree in nursing and then followed on with that to do uh, to study at the Bible College. And then my main working career has been in working with people with mental health needs and learning disabilities and also those with a brain injury. And I had um, the privilege really to, to lead a couple of teams going out to Albania in 2013 and 2015 and that was with ECM. And going out there, we were going really to teach uh, people who were working with learning disabilities. So these were teachers uh, in a special school, uh, in a church, parents. And we we're also taking groups of people with learning disabilities to do some fun things and to, to teach them about God. And this really opened my eyes. Um, we had done some visits and I was meeting with this lady who was telling us a story that she had found out that her son was um, had a disability. And uh, as time went on, uh, there was one day that the family had taken her off away for the day um, and, and really had planned to leave her son behind uh, with in, in a forest. And this was really a plan as well that was made by her husband as well. And now she was on her own. And I find that very shocking that there was such shame and grief about having a child with a disability. And that even relatives very often just didn't want anything to do with her family like that because they would be too worried that they would also maybe catch whatever this was. And it also made me realize that probably this is something that is repeated all over the world. Um, and it's just so important that we consider as a church really and as a mission mission societies uh, 
That is a such an important opportunity for the church really to reach out and to show that love and to share the love of God and his salvation plan to so many people who are unreached. And then as a family, we had the opportunities to spend a couple of years in Zimbabwe. And my role was really to try and work with people with a disability. But it was quite difficult initially really to actually um, explain to people what I was trying to do because of the whole stigma and the cultural beliefs there. And I had to first of all really just start to find out what was it like living with a disability in Zimbabwe. And I visited this young man who is, uh, there's a picture of him here. He's 28 years old. He couldn't speak, he couldn't really do anything for himself. He had a learning disability, he had limited understanding. And when I met him for the first many a time, he would have been lying on an on a old piece of carpet. He was very often incontinent. And he would be maybe eating on the ground. So after a number of weeks and months, um, we realized that he could actually use the toilet. And um, we also got him to really sit down while he was eating. Um, and then also I sort of made a point like, well, if I'm coming here and I'm meeting you guys, then it would also be nice if he was part of that. So there he is sitting and, and that picture is, is quite special to me. But I also heard, of course, about the total lack of professional input because apart from myself, there had never ever been anybody coming in to meet him or to, to speak to him or professionally to work with him. Um, and that's what I was doing then as well, to look at what, what actually is available, what services are available, what professional input. And of course, I realized there is very little. Um, but it was good for me because I had access to internet and I was able to do some networking. I was able to find out and give people information about the things that were available. And then I was able to have the opportunity really to do some training with people in communities, in churches, um, with teachers and healthcare professionals, and also would have trained volunteers to start up support groups. But then you realize as well that, um, you know, if you're talking about trying to include people with disabilities in, in the community or in the church, for many of them, they have no actual means to come to that session, to come and join in because of the nature of their, <coughs> their disability. So we then did work on uh, getting, doing some fundraising and getting aids out to people and that sort of was life transforming for many people um, and, and very exciting and we would have also supported people with some income generation project and so i've had to come back after a couple of years but it is exciting to see that whenever we're sowing the seed that god still continues to grow things and develop things and at the moment, some people have been really inspired to start to set up a school for children with disabilities who have either never been able to get to school or would never at the moment get a chance to go to school. And then also there's a, a friend who has started up a charity really for people with um, disabilities in his province. And another one has started up a support group and it's now attended by 30 people. So but what about mission? Um, so historically, of course, many missionaries went out to set up churches, 
and also many doctors went out to set up hospitals. And it is hard to underestimate, it's, well, it's easy to underestimate the, the massive impact that it has on many people's lives and how it has saved so many lives. And if you think about the sub-Saharan region, they reckon that 30% of the hospitals built um, have been built by missionaries. And, the, and many of them are still going. And many of them still provide training grounds for um, healthcare professionals. And also, if it wasn't for the fact that those doctors and nurses were sent there, many governments wouldn't be able to afford to pay those, those staff. Um, so there is a massive amount of, of, of uh, lives um, uh, gained that are saved because of the work of and the sacrifice really of many of these people. But of course, sometimes this, uh, they have been working with an emphasis on acute medical care and prevention work. But then for people who live with disabilities, you know, very often they can still not access that or they live with conditions that are long term and cannot be cured. So um, for some of them, they couldn't access it because, of course, they don't have a means. They can't actually get to the, to the hospital. Um, and we've seen people sort of being carried in wheelbarrows or whatever, or they need to be carried, which of course is very difficult. Um, or those people have been hidden from their families. Um, and for example, the man here, you know, he was involved in an accident and he became paralyzed. And his, his wife then left him and his mother actually hid him in the house for 10 years. And so that's enormous suffering. And of course, we know that in some countries, uh, people with disabilities are put away far away in, a, in rural areas and in institutions. And there was a lady from the UK called Maureen Wise who set up a work in uh, Moldova. And she visited people there in institutions and also you know, shared the gospel with them and set up some lovely kind of small homes for people that they moved to. And she wrote a book and uh, it's very moving and it's called With God All Things Are Possible. And it's a, it's a great, a great book to read. And there's a couple from Northern Ireland actually called Ben and Esther Smith and they are currently preparing uh, to join the work there in Moldova. But many of these people are not reached by the gospel. And I also heard reports sometimes of people saying that, uh, you know, they maybe went to church, but actually then the people with disabilities would have been locked up, you know, in their homes or left out, uh, in, maybe even in the heat of the sun. And, you know, that's not what we want. That's not what God intended. And sometimes uh, there has been community development as well and there's lots of training programs or there's like income generation projects. But very often still maybe people with disabilities are not at the receiving end of some of that kind of support. And we as a society can't afford to miss the contribution that people with disabilities can make. Now, why are these people hidden? That's, that's a question that was in my mind. And um, you will find that even though some religions are actually 
talking very much about having to care for you know people with, who are weak or who are poor that um, generally speaking when somebody becomes unwell that very often of course we try and blame we try and find out why and, and try and find put the blame somewhere and what you see so often is that um, there is the talk going round that if somebody has a condition that probably somebody has done something to somebody else they have maybe sinned they have caused God's wrath maybe they have been involved in witchcraft or maybe which which is quite common which we heard quite a lot maybe they have angered the spirits of dead relatives now what is then the result so very often the, the, we heard many stories that um, the father would maybe blame the mother so um, he would maybe say well this hasn't happened in my family so it must be on your side so there must be something wrong with you so quite often you know either the mother very often the mother maybe would be staying in the family home of the the, the husband's parents um, the mother may be sent away or in other occasions like you will find that the father just leaves the, the marital home and then the mother is left on her own with one child or more children and obviously this is incredibly difficult i mean i had met one girl who who was sent away from her marital home or her, her husband's family home because of her child with uh, cerebral palsy he was only a year and he was incredibly unsettled so her parents had already died so she went to go and look for her brothers but then her brothers turned her away. So now she was on her own, very finding it very difficult, of course, to get work, to get food, to get a head over her house, uh, um, uh, a roof over her house. Um, and it wasn't until there was like a Christian lady who really took, took her on board, who cared for her. But then also what you quite often see is that mothers could leave their children because they, they can't cope with that shame. Um, and sometimes they run away and they're not heard of anymore. Um, sometimes maybe just trying to earn an income for the family, but the child is then often left with a relative. Um, and for example, this lady here that I met, um, she had this grandson who was who had the best smile in the world um, but he couldn't move himself at all he had cerebral palsy as well and um, he was very stiff we were trying to look for seeing whether we could get a wheelchair for him but he couldn't even sit up that's why he's lying so awkwardly there um, and we were able to encourage her to go and start attending like a rehab clinic so that she could uh, get that support and, and it was great that she was able to sort of get more support and, and that he started to be able to sit better. Um, but you know what's going to happen whenever she gets older and whenever she's not able anymore to look after him? And that question really bothered me by quite a lot of the children that I came across or a lot of the adults as well. You know, who will care for those people when they get older? And then I heard many stories of people being neglected uh, or abused. And for example, um, you know, if, if you have a disability, you're the last one to get fed. Um, 
there's a lot of young girls who have maybe Down syndrome or you know could have had mental health problems and very often they would be taken advantage of. Um, and also kind of you know somebody may have been in one family but they're seen as such a burden and then they've been passed around different family members. And then for example once I was doing a session with a group and I asked them, okay, so if you have a physical disability here, what are the kind of things people say to you? And they were saying, well, you know, somebody may say, you know, go and have a baby so they can look after you. And obviously I find it pretty shocking to hear. And it was therefore quite a privilege to be able to teach people about, about you know, the Bible and biblical views. But you can also imagine just that um, people with disabilities way more limited uh, opportunities for education and for work. Many of the children don't even manage to get a place into school, even though the schools are maybe sometimes supposed to take children on. Very often that necessarily doesn't happen. And then worst of all, um, many people with disabilities are excluded as well from church. And maybe sometimes they're excluded because of the stigma, but also maybe they just can't access it. Um, so how, does, how should the church respond? What can we do? You know, in many countries in the world, we have signed up to the United Nations Convention on the Rights of People with Disabilities to ensure that human rights are being met. But I feel that as a church, we should really be at the forefront of this to really ensure that we include people with disabilities in our churches and making sure they are totally part of everything and take their place. You know, if we look at the Bible, God always upholds the rights of those who are weak, those who are vulnerable in society. And he so closely identifies himself with these people. And one of the most important things I always find whenever I was, when I was working there is to teach the biblical principles to churches and communities um, and, and teach people about the, you know, the Christian views on sickness and health and the biblical viewpoints of, of sickness and health. And I would ask the question, you know, what, what does the Bible teach about health and what does the Bible teach about sickness? And with regards to the first question, I would have taken people first to the Ten Commandments. And if you look at the Ten Commandments, of course, it teaches us about the importance of living in harmony. You know, not stealing, not, not committing adultery, loving our neighbours like ourselves, not lying. You know, and if we do these things, you can see that the amount of stress that is, uh, is present in the world is way less if we live in harmony with one another. And we also all know that things like adultery, like stealing, like killing, you know, it causes, of course, so much grief and stress. And it causes a lot of physical symptoms as well, like headaches, stomach aches, uh, back aches, you know, and all kinds of, of illnesses as well. So right at the start of the Bible, God is teaching us very important principles, how we can live in harmony and how we can live in peace. And then if you look at the book of Exodus, um, there's the laws, the sanitation laws, the hygiene laws. And we can see already there from the start that God is interested 
for people to be healthy. And then the book of Proverbs teaches us about lots of ways of how we can live in harmony with people. And then the book of Psalms and the book of Proverbs, time and time again, they refer to how God wants people to care for the widows, for the orphans and for the poor and the vulnerable in our society. And then with regards to the second question, I often teach people about how Jesus viewed um, people who were sick, you know, and, and very often in a culture where people reject people with disabilities, you know, the example that Jesus is setting is totally different. And I would have asked them, you know, well, who in the Bible is the one that spent the most time with people with disabilities? And of course, it's Jesus. Um, there's nobody else who took more of an interest in all that we read. Um, and then, you know, I, I, we look at sometimes uh, John chapter 9, where people say, the disciples of course were saying, well, you know, Jesus, who's to blame? Is it this man or is it his parents? And of course, Jesus is saying, well, it's neither one of them. You know, this has happened for God's glory to be revealed. Um, and then in Luke chapter 14, there's the brilliant parable that illustrates uh, a, a comment that may, is made by Jesus. And he is saying, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And of course, he tells the story that there is this beautiful, amazing banquet being prepared. And when all the preparations have been finished, uh, the invitations are going out and all these people coming up with, with ridiculous excuses. But of course then he says, okay, I want my, my house needs to be full and go down to the streets in the town um, and uh, you know, get the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind to come in. And then the house is still not full and says, go to the country lanes and bring those that, that obviously uh, struggle to find a home and, and again the same those who were sick were really welcomed to come and join in the, the feast of the kingdom of God and that is amazing that Jesus is making such a clear statement of who he wants to be part of his kingdom and then if we look at Matthew 25 um, and I'm going to read that and it says there um from verse 31 he tells the people when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left then the king will say to those on his right come you who are blessed by my father Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the cre creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And it's interesting because the people are obviously not being separated because of what, what um, they have done in terms of how many times they've been to church and all the rest of it. But Jesus is talking about here 
what I have done for those in prison, those who are hungry, thirsty, sick, those that don't have any clothes. And he puts that, this is in the context of that he is saying to them, you know, um, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And that's, that's the link here. And it's an astonishing statement. And Jesus is saying as well, um, if you have done any of this for the, one of the least of mine, you have done this for me. So that really seems to very much suggest that if somebody is sick and we're doing something for that person who is sick, we're actually doing it for Jesus. Because Jesus is totally identifying himself with the poor and with the sick, with those in prison and with the strangers. Um, and it also shows us that Jesus was not expecting that all the people that were sick were going to be healed. But he did expect us to actually show love and care to those who were sick and those who were in need. So what can the church do? What are the opportunities? Uh, and there are many opportunities. And when I went out, I would have particularly looked at uh, the, the model used by community-based rehabilitation. And you can see if you want to try and strengthen, help strengthen a community, there are lots of areas that you can be involved in. And it requires a lot of different skills. You know, if you look at it, there's maybe some things you could be part of and other, other things that somebody else would be far more equipped to be involved in. But it's quite a helpful way of looking at what it means to, to really support people with disabilities in a community and what can be done to, to bring about a change. But I have always found it really important that actually the church is the place where all this should start. Um, and because that's a place where we can share the love of God, we can talk about the saving work of Jesus and also of how that knowledge, how, that's, um, how th that should really have an impact and should then um, also mean how we actually care and love for those you know, with disabilities and, and everyone in the community. So then I also came across the model that's been used by Dr. Florence Moindi, um, who was speaking yesterday to the ladies. Um, and I really like her model as well, because there she puts the church right at the heart of, of, her, of the whole work that can be done in the community. And we can see as well then that, um, you know, there's so many different skills uh, could be used. You know, in many parts, there's such a, a, a shortage of doctors and nurses. You know, occupational therapists, speech and language uh, therapists, physios, for all these people, I mean, there is such a massive need. Um, and then if you look in terms of education, of course, uh, teachers can bring, can make great contributions. But also, you know, special needs educators, um, particularly for those children who are on the autistic spectrum. I mean, there is such a, a lack of knowledge and awareness and such a great, um, there are such great opportunities for people like that. But also for people who can teach vocational skills, 
to people with disabilities. And then if you look at the area of social engagement, there are uh, people maybe of a social background, social work background or lawyers who can help with advocacy and support. And then uh, in terms of income generation, you know, anybody who has a business or a management background or has IT skills, technical skills, engineering skills, you know, but also things like fundraising. Um, I think we should also not underestimate the importance of that for some people in the world. For them to start doing any income generation, it will require capital, just like people need that here. Um, and, you know, without any of that capital, nothing is ever going to, to start up. So sometimes it means that we need to make some of those resources available. Um, so training can be such a constructive way to build communities. And of course that can be short term, you know, whether it's a couple of weeks or a couple of years. Um, but also it can be done remotely. Um, and uh, there are so many people in the world now that have sort of access to smartphones and stuff. Uh, if I think about Zimbabwe, many people would have had uh, access to smartphones, you know, maybe very old ones. But for them, it was actually a very cheap way of connecting with people. So, and, and that means as well that still on a daily basis, I'm in contact with people. And then, for example, I've uh, started to, uh, to join TO, which is an organization, a networking organization, people with learning disabilities. Um, and I've become an associate with them, them and particularly looking at sort of overseas work as well. And during the last year, we've got to know a lady from Mauritius who is just very keen to start up a work for people with disabilities in Mauritius. And um, we had hoped to visit her, but because of lockdown, of course, that didn't happen. But we're now in the process of trying to set up training that we could maybe do on a monthly basis or on, you know, bi-monthly basis. But we could do that now remotely through Zoom and that would be actually a way more cost effective way to support them we could involve many more people um, and we can do this on a very consistent basis as well so that's there are exciting opportunities that are out there that we don't even have to travel for and, and gives opportunities to a much wider range of people to be involved in work like this but i have to say for some people it will require to actually go out um, because even for myself, I think it was very important for me to actually live amongst people, to actually find out what it was like for them to, to live with a disability, to really work out what kind of resources are available, what, what, is, what, is, what does it feel like to have the cultural beliefs um, and to be impacted by that, but also to gain the respect, to gain the trust. Um, and to establish some of those networks um, and also to sort of lead by example to show people that love that God has for people with disabilities. So how can you be involved? So there's a few important principles I would love to mention. So first of all of course we need to pray and ask God for his leading and then secondly 
uh, we need to connect with people. We need to maybe find out where are the opportunities. And maybe that involves you sort of talking to mission agencies or people within your church that are maybe working abroad or, you know, maybe there's a whole range of people, but, but pray and connect with people. And then if you, if you feel led to a particular, maybe a particular area, you know, start doing your homework. Um, if we start to work in any setting, we usually read up on it and we, we try and find out all kinds of things about an area. But that's even more so if, if you're talking about somewhere overseas where you don't really know the culture. It's just so important then that we actually try and find out what is the background here? Um, what is going on in the country? What, what is, what's saying in news reports? Um, what is the economic situation? What is the religious situation? Um, what is going on? If we want to communicate effectively, we need to understand as much as we possible we can of the setting that we're, we're going to be working in. And then it's really important that we actually listen. So when I had planned to go out to Mauritius, I had said to my friends, you know, the first couple of days, all I want to do is actually that we would go and meet people and hear their story. Um, without that, it's very difficult whether you actually, what you're going to be speaking into or what you're going to say is either making sense to them or totally, you're on a totally different wavelength. So, you know, before you speak, make sure you, you listen, you ask questions. Um, you know, sometimes we can maybe see answers to some people's problems, but they may really not be the right answers. Um, they may just be things that work for you in your setting, but not for them. I have a nice example of that. Um, I was speaking in one particular area and there, was a, a, there had been a long-term drought, but there was a river flowing nearby and the people were having real difficulties getting access to water. And I'm just thinking there, of course, well, there's a river there, you know, how can you not have access? And obviously I was quite naive, but, um, you know, I just didn't quite realize, and I, I learned my lesson, but I didn't realize how, of course, access to water in the same way, access to food is such a political hotbed and um, what it really required is for the local leadership to start sitting down together and to really work on, you know, how can we make this work for all of us and not just a few of us. And, um, you know, I was able to encourage them to work on that, to start re-engaging with that. But it wasn't about the pipes. It was about doing all that groundwork first. And then it's so important that we think about what's already been done. You know, in, in, many, in many countries, if rich Westerners are coming into a country, you know, you're going to be welcomed with open arms. And if you're saying you're going to want to build a school somewhere, I mean, of course, nobody's going to say, no, don't do that here because we already have one very close by. Um, but we need to think about, you know, is this strategic? Is this beneficial? Is this just our idea? What are the long-term gains? What's already out there? I mean, whenever I was in Zimbabwe, I didn't focus on the South and the West because there was already quite a lot of work that had been done there. So, so great charities were working in that area, but definitely not so much in the East and in the North and in the South. 
and there was uh, one project for people with hearing impairments and it had been going for many years and it was such a strong project with some great work that I did. So it was a great place for me to be able to refer anybody who had any hearing difficulties to. But I was also able to, you know, work together with them and maybe give them some ideas and, and get them to be networking with other people. Um, and for example, just a small example as well, um, they had a vocational course going for, for girls with a hearing impairment and they were doing sewing classes. And then I had also come across uh, a mother who really needed uh, pads for her daughter who was, had continence issues. And so I was able to ask the girls to really make some for this girl and, and in the hope as well they, that they would do this more often because um, for many of these people to, to buy disposable pads is incredibly costly and for many people that's not even possible. So it was great to sort of work together with them on, on a number of things. Um, you know, it's so important that we map sort of what's already out there, that we research. I mean, um, but then also, you know, there's maybe some projects out there. Uh, I, I heard of a, a UK charity, a disability charity that was involved in Zimbabwe and asked people about that, but they found, for example, the support that was offered was very limited and it wasn't really accessible to many people. So it's just important we know, you know, what else is being done and that we don't come up with solutions that are already out there. And then consider what do you leave behind? You know, whether you're there for a couple of weeks or, or a couple of years, it was a, a question that was often in the back of my mind, you know, one day I'll be going, what is it that I have left behind? But that is the same when you're there for a short time. You know, and often what I saw is that what is being left behind is very often is, is money. Um, um, people in the West, when they come into a situation where they're dealing with a lot of poverty, a lot of people feel they, you know, I think maybe there's the need to fix things as well or, or to, to, to help, which can be great, but Sometimes it's important to think about, you know, other missionaries that are out there can't do that kind of stuff and it can make it quite difficult. Or, um, yeah, there's also that whole concept of that dependency on a rich Westerner coming out. And that's really something we try and avoid uh, because we're trying to, to build a stronger community. So we would have sometimes encouraged people rather than sort of giving money direct, give it through, you know, a local church or whatever, let them pass it on. It, it's, it's far better, far stronger. Um, but I, for example, also was dealing with a legacy of that when uh, training was provided anywhere in communities, that I was expected then to provide food. So with any community training you would do, or in the church, the question would be, you know, okay, how are you gonna feed them? And it's like, oh, I can't feed them, you know, all the time. You know, yeah, we can do that sometimes, but, um, you know, I had a group of a, a three days training, like the first group was a hundred people. You know, we're talking quite a lot of money then if, if that happens on a regular basis. So, but this was a legacy because other people going before had been doing that. Um, but then we had to sort of to think through, well, how do we make this sustainable? 
And do you have those expectations as well of local people who come and do training sessions? You know, so it's so important that we think about um, what do we actually leave behind? What can we do? And then what is sustainable? So some projects are going to be long-term projects and um, it's not about just setting something up initially. You know, you can maybe think about setting up like a hospital, but how is it going to be run in the long term? And I mentioned that as well, because um, before we went out, there were a lot of Christians involved in a hospital in Zimbabwe, um, and they had built a, built a theater. Um, we were very well aware of that because there was a lot of money pumped into that. And also people had gone out to uh, work there. Um, and it was great. But by the time we arrived, the building had already been sitting there very, very beautiful, but totally empty and nothing was happening. And, and things, different things had changed in the meantime, but there was no funding to actually to get the place up and running because there was no money really for the equipment that was required by local government officials. Um, and the whole planning about, you know, well, how are these people going to be trained and what staff are going to be able to be covering these, uh, this, this, this theater, the work that needs to be done there. And I mean, I was able to speak to, you know, some of the local leaders there, plus also leaders back home to say, you know, this could be such a waste of resources um, unless, you know, we are now going the full way and trying to make sure that this is going to happen. And it really takes responsibility of both parts to then see a project through. Um, you know, on the whole, of course, if you look at sustainability, it's important that we sort of think about what can be run locally on an ongoing basis without input from abroad because of course that's always going to be better but if and that's the case uh, very often as well like particularly in terms of like hospitals in, in many parts of the world they are going to need an ongoing uh, amount of investment and we need to then prepare for how we're going to commit to that and it, it's great when people do that but it does require that ongoing input and then I would also like to say, you know, uh, you're never too old or too young to join any work in the mission field. You know, if God calls you, whether you're young or whether you're at any, any stage, whether you're old, you know, there's always a place if he, he is wanting you to be involved. And then finally, I want to say on this part, it's like, well, what about if you have a disability or a, a child uh, or a family member has a disability and you feel that God is calling you to go out and I just want to say that I have read this brilliant book uh, recently it came out last year um, and it's written by David Duell and Nathan John and it's called Disability in Mission The Church's Hidden Treasures and um, the book talks about how so often God uses the weak um, to strengthen his church. And there are so many examples of that in the Bible. And the, and the book covers that. But then it also talks about some stories of people who've been out on the mission field. 
and how God has really worked so powerfully through their disability or maybe the disability of, of one of the members of the families. And, um, you know, I think what the book really challenges us that if God is calling us uh, and we have a disability, you know, don't let that stop us. You know, if God wants to work, uh, do a great work through you. So I just wanted to encourage you with that. Um, now, finally, just a few uh, pitfalls, some do's and don'ts. Um, first of all, if you are going into a culture um, and it's a new culture to you, it's so important that you learn how to greet people. You need to learn when to speak and when you have to wait. Um, and also how people do their handshakes and stuff. Uh, and to even realize that sometimes women greet in a different way from men. But just ask and learn because it, is, it shows a lot of respect to people if, if you know how to greet them. And then secondly, in terms of the protocol for any meetings, it's really important as well that you find out how that takes place. What are the expectations about a meeting? And just ask. Um, in the West, we're very much sort of starting a meeting. We want to get through a business. We want to do this in, a, in as quick amount of time as possible. But that's very different in many other countries in the world. You know, it could be that actually you need to first greet people and not just the person who's in charge. You need to actually um, greet each person and say, how are you? Uh, and then how are you? And then how are you? And go through everybody. Uh, I had sort of a classic encounter with this that uh, my husband was on Zoom with our director and there was somebody else coming into the conversation and that person was a little bit late and immediately they started into the, the business. But actually what we should be doing is actually waiting and, and not starting to talk and we'll just greet and then you know we'll do the introductions and stuff and then go on to the business. But it's really, it, it's really much better if we actually work, know what the protocol is. And then I would also like to say is that, you know, try and keep aspects of your life discreet. You know, I've been working with people who are struggling so much to make ends meet. And then, you know, you hear people flying into the country, of course, and they're talking about, you know, they're doing this mission here, this, this couple of weeks or so, and then they're going off on a safari or something, or they're going off to some of the, the great tourist attractions. And I was always struck by thinking, you know, what does this mean to that person? You know, there's people here who would love to do some of those things. But, um, you know, I think you just need to be very careful what kind of things you talk about um you know try and imagine what life is like from that person's perspective and also really consider whether you would add people to social media um you know if you do that then what kind of communication do you send out it's just something to think about and then um also look at using the local workforce in many countries there's so much unemployment you know, consider that you don't take, if were possible, employment away. Now, maybe you find there is, is better ways of, of building things or, or doing things. 
but find ways of really connecting local people all the time with, with what you're doing. Because one, um, it's an opportunity for learning and sharing. And if anything breaks down, you know, you're, you're equipping people, but at the same time, they may have such important uh, lessons to teach you about maybe what some of the restrictions are or what kind of uh, equipment needs to be used or what is going to work or what's not going to work or if it's broken down uh, what the effect of that's going to be so you know work together with people very much on that level as well and then i want to say as well about money um, money can be such of course an important source of opportunity but also it's often is so often uh, a source of great pain um, it's not for no reason why the Bible is teaching so many things about how we use money wisely. But wherever money is being used, there's always potential for misuse. Um, and in particular in situations where people ha have no money, there's such a lack of money. Um, money can be such a, such a temptation. I mean, it's a temptation for, for anybody, but I think here, uh, we are sort of maybe protected more with a lot of procedures. But if we're sort of just working on the basis that we're going to give out money and we're trusting somebody because of his position or the fact that they are Christians, that is not good enough. You know, um, money has different, there's different values as well, different cultural values to money very often in different settings. Um, I had an example of that this week. We are actually involved at the moment in doing food distributions in Zimbabwe. And that's because of the whole COVID situation. It has really brought so many people down to the brink of poverty and not having any food at all. So we have been able to get some funding and to, to pass that on. Um, but then one of, one, a very good friend of us told us, okay, Rosalind, I've done this, that and the other. But my father died in the meantime and I've had to use some of the money I used it for the cost of the funeral and you know when I read that I just I know because the culture that that is an acceptable thing to do if you have an emergency and you have that money you can actually use that but of course we perceive that very differently and we need to work through some of those scenarios we need to work through our expectations with people and it's so important that we have clear procedures. Um, we ask for receipts, we ask for accounts, we ask for pictures, um, and it's not to constantly check, but it's to build that kind of, uh, to build and grow that trust. Trust shouldn't just be there, it needs to be grown, it needs to be evidenced. And if there's any discrepancies, we need to try and work that through and find out what's happening and not let it go. In particular, I think this is important when you're hoping that a project will grow. You know, when you're starting small, it's important that good, good policies, good procedures are in place so that the work can grow. So, um, I just want to thank you so much for listening to this seminar. Um, so, you know, if you think about it, the church has been given such a massive challenge to take the gospel to the ends of the earth and to make disciples. 
And we know that God loves those who are weak and vulnerable, and he loves the people who have disabilities. And we cannot ignore the command of Jesus to go out in the world and to make Jesus known, and particularly as well to people who are so often hidden. Um, I just want to thank you for, for joining in with this seminar, seminar, and I hope you consider you know, what God is maybe asking you to do as well. So thank you. Um, I also would like to say there is an opportunity after this, uh, after this session to join and connect via Zoom. So this gives an opportunity if you want to ask any questions or you know, maybe you want to share some of your experience or just it would be a way to connect. So I hope you're able to join, but thank you so much for, uh, for listening. Bye bye. We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org slash donate.